Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I'm so excited to have an author, pastor. If you know me and you know this podcast, you know that ministry is very close to my heart. As I've mentioned um, in posts and things like that, my dad was a pastor the last three and a half years of his life, as I wrote about in my book, People Buy From People. And I have a, an author today, his book, The Cave, When Ministry Becomes Misery. We're going to talk about that. You know, you might look at your pastor, you might look at somebody that may, you might think they have it all together. I'm here to tell you, if you only knew what you only knew, as we say here in West Virginia, you might be surprised. But he's an author, a pastor, minister, speaker. Scott Disler joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Scott, how are you today? Just fine, Brian. Appreciate you letting me be part. Let's talk this morning about and, and, and folks, this is going to be a little different conversation because if you're not a Christian, I don't want you to tap out and think, well, this is just for Christians. Okay. Cause it's not, you, you know, the intentional encourager podcast is about people first and, and in ministry, you have to remember that you minister to everybody. You're a, you're a human being just as you are, um, and, and I tell people, and Scott, forgive me for, for a long-winded introduction. That's fine. What, what I'm thinking of is, is that what a lot of people don't understand about Christians and about Christians that are in ministry is that we had families and we, you know, in a lot of cases, we, we had lives before we had ministries. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know I, I, I came to the ministry late. I've always worked in the church. But I've been married almost 25 years. I was married to my wife long before I ever preached my first message. And so let's start there. How has things for you been at home the last 18 months? You know, because everybody has had a different experience around the last 18 months. So take me through yours personally. And if you want to tap into the, to the ministry part of it, but to take me through the last 18 months or so. Yeah. The last 18 months, obviously different than anything I've ever had. And, uh, but yeah, at the same time, really good. Now my wife and I, we married right out of college. So we've been in ministry as long as we've been married. And uh, for my wife, her whole calling was to marry a pastor. So she's as involved in ministry as I am. And for the last 18 months, it's just been my wife and I, our kids are grown, they're out of the house now. And uh, so those 18 months, we just really focused on how can we encourage other people during a time period when there was a lot of discouragement going on. And and God protected us during that time. And my wife did get COVID, but it, she was able to get over it pretty quickly. I did not get COVID that I know of. However, during that time, I lost my dad to COVID. And uh, he was in a skilled nursing facility at the time. And COVID got into that facility. 
And uh, it was difficult because that was early on in COVID when the restrictions were so tight. My mom could not go in to be with him, nothing like that. She had to say goodbye through the window. That was tough. Now, because I was kind of the chaplain at that place, they did allow me to go in. So I got to be with my dad during that time frame and uh, be with him when he passed. But it's one thing to lose a parent. It's nothing to lose a parent under those type of type of circumstances. Yeah. So that made it that made it difficult. But we always find the grace of God gets us through. Well, and and that's so important because um, we lost my wife's granddad. He was a, he was ninety eight. We lost him to COVID. And you and I were talking before we recorded. My stepfather's father just passed away at ninety five, right. and he had COVID. And and you you hear the stories of how people did not get to be with their loved ones right. as they make that transition from life to death. And, and you only make that transition once, mm-hmm. you know, now, now some people, you know, they die and they come back. I, I we've heard those stories, yeah. but for the vast majority of us, you make that transition once exactly. and, and you, you want to be there with your loved one. You want to, but ultimately you know that there's nothing you can do. Can I, if you don't mind, take me through those moments being with your dad and, and uh, having to separate, cause you just mentioned you were the chaplain of that facility, right? So you're having to go through those difficult times with people you don't really know exactly as the chaplain. Now, all of a sudden you're not only the chaplain of the facility and that allowed you to, to take part in that mm-hmm. with your dad but you're the son and now you're watching your father enter into eternity. What was that like for you? Were you ever conflicted from pastor and son where take me through that, that, that maybe that 48 hours before he passed or the 24 hours, kind of what your thoughts and your feelings were. Yeah. And and they were all over the map, as you can imagine. It was about a week time span from the time he really got ill with COVID to when he passed. So the first few days I was able to be with him, we could still talk together. We could still share together. I could put him on the phone so he could talk to my mom and my sister. The last couple of days, though, um, he, he couldn't communicate. He wasn't conscious in that way. And so that's when it became really difficult. And it's at that point that you almost go from son to pastor. And, and, and let me let me interject there, if you don't mind. You have been in more of those moments than you probably care to admit, because as a pastor, you get called in a lot of times when that communication begins to stop right. from that loved one. And so, so you recognize that something imminent is about to happen. Now, only the Lord knows right. when that person is going to take their last breath. Right. You know, the Lord ultimately is the only one that knows that time of death and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But you you know what it's like when you began to see that. Yeah. What happened to you internally that and, and, and forgive me for pulling. I, I want I, Scott, I feel like there's somebody there that's that is going is either walking through that mm-hmm. has walked through it and didn't really understand that moment. Right. or may be walking through that and don't realize it yet. They're going to go back to this conversation mm-hmm. and, and they're going to pull some information that's going to help them. That's why I'm, 
I'm I'm kind of reaching a little bit deeper sure. here in the, in this moment. Yeah, and and you're right, Brian. I've been in enough of those situations that you you can tell the signs that the passing is probably imminent. And uh, when I saw that in my dad, obviously at that point, that's really when reality sets in that uh, I'm about to lose my dad. And at that point, I, I'm one of those that really believes and, and at least hopes that even in that time, they can still hear me. So I spend a lot of time during that time still talking to my dad, reminiscing with him about stories from our past, thanking him for the things he's done for me, reading a lot of scripture to him, praying to him. My dad grew up in the church. He loved those old hymns. So I would just begin to sing those hymns to him. In fact, Brian, I was singing the hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, when my dad took his last breath. And I just got to believe because of his faith in Jesus that he finished that song in heaven himself. And uh, so those, those were difficult times, no doubt. I just wanted my voice to be a voice of comfort for him. And, uh, and then once he passed and once I knew it was over, well, because of my faith in Christ and because I believe that for the believer in Jesus, your last breath on earth is your first breath in heaven, while there was sorrow, there was still this joy. And, and it's amazing how that can commingle. Sorrow and joy can come together. Peace can be there even when you're grieving. And I was experiencing both at that time, the grief, the sorrow, at the same time, the joy and the peace. I love that, having peace in the midst of grief. And, and, and you know, I, I am, I, I'm thankful that you got that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, because I didn't get that experience with my dad. My dad passed in his sleep. He, he passed suddenly. And, and I've always been not jealous but I've always told people that got to say goodbye. I said, man, you got a gift. I never got to say goodbye, yeah. you know, and I don't know what it would have been like. My dad was a singer as well. So I, he taught me to sing. I, maybe I can imagine if my dad had had an illness that, you know, maybe we would have gathered around his bed and yeah. sang harmony or something like that. But, yeah. you know, it, it, you're right about that. And, and, you know, we're all going to make that transition. That's right. One day, um, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So right. we, we know that unless the Lord comes, we're, we're, we're going to make that, that transition. Let me, speaking of transitions, I want to ask you this. Sure. What is the one lesson that you learned in the last 18 months? Maybe it, it was around your dad's passing, or maybe it was around, something in that moment, maybe from, from, from an experience of pastoring, but what's a lesson that you, t that, that you learned during the last 18 months mm -hmm. that is going to carry you going forward? I think in the last 18 months, the thing I saw more than anything else is the power of a positive word. Uh, there was so much negativity and it seemed like any, everywhere you went, all that was talking about was pandemics and COVID and death and shutdowns. And it was amazing when you could interject a positive word, a positive thought, an encouraging note, it seemed to be magnified in its impact during that time. I know 
one of the things that I did with our, our church when everything shut down in our community, what I did for 30 days, we picked 30 places in our city and I went there at 12 noon and we went live on Facebook and I led our church live in praying for the people at the hospital, the people at the nursing home, the people at the police department. And I was amazed at the incredible feedback I got from people about what it meant to them to have us just praying for them. So yeah. the power of a positive word can make such an impact. And the other thing I discovered, Brian, is most of the time you don't really see that impact right when you say it. Yeah. It comes much later. In fact, I think that's going to be one of the best parts of heaven when we realize the impacts that happen that we had no clue God used. Yeah, we'll understand the old the old song says we'll understand it better by and by. I yeah. mean, that's you know, we 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 realize then that you know, we we'll understand what God was doing because people have said well, God used this time to slow everybody down, or God used this time for this, or God used this time for that. We can guess and we can suppose and we can say, well, we we think this might be the case, or you know, this this might be what we feel. We don't really know. I mean, we we I mean, everything just came to to such an abrupt halt. But you know, and that's why I asked the question that I do, Scott, because I think I believe everybody takes something out of of what has happened in the last you know 18 months or so as this thing continues to drag on right and, and i know we're getting a lot of fatigue around yeah. um man we wish this thing would come to an end we want to get back to normal for, for and for some people and i'll say this before we go to break for some people what came out of COVID is going to be the new normal you know if you're in business and you come up with something that you do differently, that you're going to continue. And that's why I asked that question is some people are going to learn something from the pandemic that they're going to say, this is going to be my new standard operating practice. Yeah. Yeah. This, exactly. this is going to be how we move, how we go forward. Yeah. Um, you know, some churches may find, may have used Facebook or, or other social media platforms that they continue to use mm -hmm. going forward to try to reach more people. So that's, that's why I wanted to, yeah. to ask you that let's step aside take a break when we come back i want to get i want to make sure we save some time to talk about scott's book and i want to talk about his journey as well my guest the author of the book the cave when ministry becomes misery pastor scott disler joins me today on the intentional encourager podcast back in just a moment Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. 
Scott, let's talk now about your book. Yeah. Being an author myself, I know that was a hard process. It took me about, it took me almost three years of kind of kicking myself in the rear end and making myself do it and things like that. Walk me through the genesis of the idea of your book and, and how all that kind of came together for you. The book really came out of an experience in my own life that about 11 years ago when I was pastoring a church and things were going great. We had seen the church in five years triple in size from 500 to 1500. And then suddenly I ran into what I like to call a well-intentioned dragon. And that's a very influential person in the church who has good intentions, but they don't realize they're really causing damage. And um, you and don't that, say, you don't really, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to you. I didn't mean to, but I was listening to you talk and I'm like, huh, they exist in just about every church. It's like, it's not just churches I've been involved in. Oh, no. every, yeah. If I, I, I heard a preacher say one time, there's always a Judas in your life and they're usually close enough to kiss you. And there might be some truth to that. And and that's what I ran into. Or cut your ear off as Peter did with, <laughs> with the, with the, the servant, you know, just yeah, good thing for the servant. Peter was a fisherman, not a swordsman, or it may have been worse. Well, an even better thing for him that Jesus was standing right there and just picked his ear up and put it back on without any, any problems. Yeah. <laughs> without question. So I ran into this well-intentioned dragon and things led one to another and before I knew it, he had the influence and was able to kind of gather the movers and the shakers on his side. It was a very tough year. I found myself going into what I called the cave. And um, and, and, and I, there were steps that led me into that cave, Brian. The first thing was fear. There was all kinds of fears. I saw that my ministry may be coming to an end and I was going to lose my job and my kids were in college and how was I going to keep them in college? And then there was isolation because I began to pull away from everyone and that led to self-pity and finally hopelessness. And here I am in the cave where ministries become misery and I'm not the first one to find that cave. In the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah, he on one day, he has this incredible calling down fire from God on Mount yeah. Carmel. The next day, he's in a cave going, God, just kill me. Yeah. Because he ran into a, a dragon by the name of Jezebel. Well, and and let's, let's park there for just a minute because it is being a pastor a lot of times. And, and I've said this, and, and I mean no disrespect. If someone in ministry is listening, I don't want to be disrespectful or dismissive, but, but I use it in this terminology. A lot of times a pastor is like the front man of a band. And a lot of times people will say, okay, for two hours at, at a church service or whatever, there are some people who go, I want to be inspired I want to be moved. I want to be entertained. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want you to, I want you to, to spark my emotions. I'm going to need something to carry me through the week. And a lot of times, and, and I've, and I've used that analogy, Scott, like the front man of a band, because there are going to be times that your voice isn't right. The front man's voice isn't going to be right. He's not feeling good. Yeah. 
you know, or or maybe going through something himself mm -hmm. that nobody sees. But you know what? I bought a ticket to the show, and doggone it, I want to see that guy perform because it, it's about my experience yep. in that moment. And we forget a lot of times that ministers are men and women themselves. Ministers are human too. I, I got to ask you this. Mm -hmm. When you begin to to internalize because a lot of times we slip into those moments right. as human beings and we're either very acutely aware of what's happening and we just don't care right or or we kind of find ourselves drifting into that place kind of like taking a walk through the woods and then all of a sudden you don't know where you are did you find yourself being acutely aware of where you were at or just kind of slipping to that cave-like place well, at first, it seemed like it was just a gradual process, but it reached a point where it became like expedited. And suddenly, I'm not just going near the cave, I'm running inside the cave. You just and want somewhere to seek shelter. Is that kind of it? Exactly right. That's exactly right. So, again, isolation becomes the thing. I mean, I just became isolated in my office. I'd get done preaching on Sunday. I'd go right to my office. I didn't come out. I wasn't communicating with the staff, nothing like that, because I became so paranoid. I didn't know who I could trust, who was being talked to, who wasn't being talked to, who was going to read into something I said or something I did. And that's why I call that cave a place of misery, because that's a miserable existence right there. And you feel like you've got to hit home runs every time you step into the pulpit like i've got to prove myself like like you guys know that the reason that i'm your pastor is that right. and and i've always kind of felt like seeing seeing the intimate parts of ministry it's impossible to hit home runs yeah. every night it's impossible you know even even with a music background it's impossible right. and, and and athletics it's amazing to me that we expect people mm -hmm. to be perfect. Yeah. Whether it's our sports teams, whether it's, you know, going to a concert, whether it's church, we, it, it's almost like Scott, let me go here for just a second. Sure. It's like, we can say and do whatever we want to do on social media, but we expect people that have a position to, to be perfect all the time. And, well, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they preached on that from the pulpit. I can't believe they touched on that. Don't they know it? You know, and it's and it it's almost like you demand perfection of that person, mm -hmm. but you don't want to demand it of yourself. I, yeah. I listen, I'm a I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I can't do what Joe Burrow does. Right. I can't do what what those 46 guys that play on Sunday do. Why should I expect perfection? Yeah, I get frustrated as a fan. Sure. But my goodness, I don't have the abilities they have. God didn't bless me with those abilities. I hate to go long-winded there, but what did you, did you ever think to yourself, if I could just do this, I can turn this around. If my congregation just saw this, did you ever feel that internal pressure on yourself to kind of step up your game or be a little more perfect, a little more polished. Well, take me, did you ever feel that pressure? 
Yeah, and that pressure was bad because what's happening now is as I go in to preach on Sunday morning, my well-intentioned dragon's sitting right there. And so I know he's going to be reading into everything I say. So yeah, that pressure was there big time. And uh, and that's t- it's tough to go in and kind of almost put on this mask because I'm in misery during the week, but I have to go in now on Sunday morning, three services, and I've got to put this mask on like everything's okay, still knowing I'm going to get the Monday morning emails. I always say the worst part about being a pastor is checking your email on Monday morning, and you're going to get those things because not only do people demand perfection, in our day of electronic communication where they don't have to look at your eyeball to eyeball, they don't mind telling you what you messed up with. Well, and, and a lot of people, Scott, let's be real about this. The church has almost become customer driven. Absolutely. You know, and, and I've said this, and if, and if somebody takes offense to it, I'm sorry, it's it's the truth. There are a lot of places that, that every member almost becomes as though they have a dollar figure attached to them. Mm-hmm. And when a family leaves one church and goes to another church, they may have been praying for a while mm-hmm. for God to send them and God opens that door. But it's like, well, we just had X amount of dollars leave our church. Or if 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 you took, you took in families like, oh, wow, okay, we had, it's almost become like a profit and loss sheet. Where it's like, okay, when we add people to our church and they begin to, to tithe and give their offerings, that it's like, oh man, we, we grew our revenues by, you know, $200,000 or whatever it was. Or if people leave, it's like, well, our, our revenues are going down. What are you doing as a pastor? You're doing something wrong as a pastor because we should be growing and we're not. And, and, it, and it's so unfair to the one, to the calling, yep. but two, to the man. Did you ever just want to just say, forget this, forget you guys. Um, I'd rather go work as a Walmart manager than have to deal with you guys. Did did, Did it ever get that close for you? And how did you encourage yourself through those times? Yeah, that's a great question. And it did. I remember the time I went into McDonald's to get a cup of coffee. And as I watched the person behind the counter working at McDonald's, I became envious of them. I had McEnvy. It's like, man, I wish they were I more beer. joyful than you were. Exactly. Yeah. And they get to when they're done working at McDonald's, just kind of go home. And, uh, and so, yeah, there were many times that it's like, is this worth it? And even when it came to the point that I finally lost my ministry there, I had to really battle through my calling, you know, am I going to go back into ministry? Am I going to face the possibility of that happening again? I, I spent six months working in an insurance office during that interim time until I kind of came to that conclusion again that though I had gotten hurt at the last church, my calling hadn't changed and I had to follow my calling. And Brian, I would say that during that, those last few months at the church, when things were tough, the only thing that kept me going back into the office was my calling. I was confident this is what God had called me to do in the good times and the bad times. I want to ask you just, just to get a pull a little more conversation out of there, because you said that, that there was about a six month space right. where when you left the one church and you, mm-hmm. you worked in an insurance company, do you feel like God gave you that space, even though it wasn't your calling? 
do you feel like God gave you that space to to get healed? And and what did you learn in those six months when you weren't actively pastoring? Because a lot of people would say, a lot of people would look at that as a failure moment. I didn't see that. If you're watching on YouTube, I didn't see that in your face when you talked about that. I almost saw it like that was good for me. And and I don't want to answer the question for you or, or lead you in a certain way. I just got that got the sense that you felt like that was what God had intended for you all along. Am, am I right about that? No question about it. Those six months, um, as I'm in that State Farm Insurance office, here's the thing about it. I kind of liken that to the wilderness when the children of Israel are in the wilderness before they go into the promised land. They weren't ready to go right from Egypt to the promised land. They needed time in the wilderness and uh, to learn some lessons. I needed that time in the wilderness to learn some lessons. And, And some of those lessons were the fact that I realized during that time, I was putting my sense of significance on having a growing ministry rather than who I am in Christ. And I needed to get that adjusted. Another thing I learned was that my calling didn't change even when I was in the State Farm Office. And I was amazed at the number of opportunities I had to minister to people, to share Jesus with people, to win people to Jesus. I still did pastoral work working in a state farm office, even though I wasn't in a church. And the other thing it really did for me was for the first time in my life, I was not an occupational pastor. And for the first time, I could see things from the perspective of the average church person who who works a job every day and then goes to church on Sunday. And I became one of those. And I think that really helped me to become a better pastor when I went back into ministry. Yeah. Seeing things from the congregation's perspective is the note that I'm writing down. Exactly. I've got to go here for just a second. I want to pull one more piece of conversation out of that because you, you were talking about being able to minister as you worked at a state farm office. Did you really feel, did you feel a sense of freedom to just be Scott and not Pastor Scott? Because it's hard to turn that part of your brain off because when you're wired as a pastor, when you're wired to minister, you're wired to minister. But I believe a lot of times where people really get that deep connection, it's not pulpit. You know, it's not, it wouldn't be like if I were a pastor. You know, if I were in front of well, Pastor Brian, mm-hmm. well, listen, when I'm not in church and, and in our church, you know, people will call me Brother Brian or then some right. of them, they might say Elder Brian, you know, something like that. Sure. And I would say, it's just Brian. Because yeah. if I see you in Walmart, it's just Brian. And people in, that I work with don't call me Brother Brian. You know, they, yeah. you know, it's just, and, and so it, it's, it, it's, it's trying to be the same all the time. Did you feel a sense of freedom to really minister the way that God had called you to when you were, when you were spending? Cause I, I, I would have to think, yeah, you have all this training right. of how to really to minister to people, but I almost get the sense you kind of put that aside and you, you were just ministering Scott 
to different people. Just, you know, just let me talk to you. I'm, I'm not pastor Scott. I'm just, I'm just Scott. What was that time like for you to be able to minister to people like that? There was a real sense of refreshment because the expectation was gone. People weren't expecting a certain type of ministry from me. Uh, when, Customers and clients would come into the office or call in or because they were just in an accident or there just was a death. They weren't expecting a pastor on the other end of the phone or a pastor sitting across the desk. And so it was a beautiful thing to be able to have the freedom just to minister to them person to person, not really pastor to person, but person to person. And, and so it really took those expectations away. And I think when the expectations are taken away, there is a lot more freedom just to be me. And I was amazed at what I like to call, Brian, divine appointments. When God orchestrates people's lives so you meet the right person at the right time to have the right conversation. And that seemed to happen every day in the State Farm office when, frankly, when you're working in the church every day, you don't see that as much. Yeah. So there's a lot of freedom there. Yeah, State Farm's slogan is not like a good pastor, State Farm is there. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know, I'm sure I'm sure State Farm has pastors that work for them, but that's kind of not what they're doing. It's not like, you know, when you call State Farm, you're going to get a pastor. You know, they're not actively uh, marketing and advertising. I love that. And, and again, I, let me say this, whether you're a business owner, whether you're a sales manager, whether you, if you're leading people of some kind, you're going to be in those moments where you want to run to the cave. Yeah. I've been there, been there, done that. And so I would encourage you, you know, don't just think of Scott's book as, as just ministry driven. You know, if you're leading people of any kind, I would encourage you to, there, there's going to be some things that you can pick up from that, that that'll help you. And so, I'm glad you went a little deeper there and, and, and shared some of those things because I, it's important when you lead people, you're always going to have those well-intentioned dragons, like you said, Absolutely. because, you know, somebody says, well, I don't like the direction our company's going. I got a great idea. I think I can change it. And, you know, your company didn't put you in leadership. They put that person in leadership. You know, and, and when, when they're, you know, it's like a pastor. It's like, God didn't put me in as a pastor. He put, he put my pastor there, you know, and, and it will come around. If, if you're supposed to do that at some point, it'll come to you. Right. That's what you're supposed to do. So I love that. Thank you for being so transparent Absolutely. in our conversation. We're going to step aside and take another break. When we come back. I want to tell Scott's story, take his on his journey. He's he's talked a little bit about the journey he went through um, writing his book and, and how that happened. But I want him to go a little bit farther, a little bit deeper with you. My guest is Pastor Scott Disler, author of the book, The Cave, When Ministry Becomes Misery. And come back with us for more great conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. 
my dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Scott, let's now dive into your story. And, and again, I want you to have the freedom in the room to go as far back as you want to go. Right. Uh, take us through some obstacles that you went through in your life, maybe in ministry. Um, and, and I'll interject with some questions around your story and things like that. But I, I want you to have the room and freedom to go as far back as you want to go and tell your story. Yeah. For me, my story really, when it comes to being a pastor, goes all the way back to my childhood when that was really the only thing I ever wanted to do was to be a pastor. And uh, in my junior year of high school, my pastor asked me to preach the Easter Sunday sunrise service. And I don't know if he saw something in me or it's because I was dating his daughter at the time, but he asked me to do that. And that's when I preached my first sermon. And I saw people get saved and come to Jesus. And from that moment on, there's nothing else I wanted to do. I ended up going off to Bible college, getting my degree in pastoral ministries. And then I entered ministry as a youth pastor in Dayton, Ohio. Did that for about nine years. Then I had my first lead pastor position in a church in Indiana. Did that for nine years. And during that time, God took us to a church in Pennsylvania. And the first five years were the, the best I've ever seen. Again, our church tripled in size. But then something happened year six that I had never experienced, and it was that well-intentioned dragon. And that led to the toughest year of my life where I land in this cave, ultimately lose my ministry. And what happens now is God in his grace allows me to, to learn some lessons and find some principles that he uses to get me out of the cave, back into ministry. And that's really, Brian, where the book comes from. It's a book that really outlines, here's the principles I learned, the steps I took, so that anybody who's been hurt by someone else or felt the sting of betrayal can benefit from those type of principles, steps they can take that help them get back out of that cave. You mentioned earlier that your wife, her calling, she felt like was to marry a pastor. Right. I want to ask you when you were going through this yeah. and, and let, let's jump back a little bit because I want to pull that perspective. Mm -hmm. When your wife, you know, she said, I, I, my calling was to marry a pastor. Right. 
How important was your wife to you going through what you went through and what was she able to do for you that's that that nobody else could do for you. You, you, you i'm sure you reached out to pastor friends of yours because we all do it we go through things we reach out to friends of ours yeah. trusted confidants that that we really can lean on and and i've got to imagine you did the same thing because i would i would i would do the same thing and have in situations like that but how important was your wife and, and kind of what was her state of mind mm-hmm. through all of it and that really became the first key step for me to get out of the cave, Brian. As I'm going through this time, the first six months of this year-long process of hurting this church, I really tried my best to, to keep a lot of the bad stuff from my wife, that effort to protect her. But of course, my wife could tell something was up, something was was brewing. And I'll never forget the day that I finally sitting out in the car in the church parking lot I kind of backed the dump truck up and just unloaded everything on her. And because I had to share everything I was feeling, experiencing, the fear I had, the failure I was feeling in my heart. And that was the turning point for me because now I had somebody to walk with me in the cave. You, You see, in Genesis, we learned that when you get married, God says you become one flesh. Uh, in other words, it's no longer what do I want. It's what do we want. It's no longer what are my dreams. It's our dreams. Well, let, so, let, let, me, let me jump in here real quick. Let, let, me, let me add a little bit more color around that because you're exactly right. But a scripture I like to use quite a bit is the Bible says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave their right. life for them. And, and, it, and if you look at the nature of, of Jesus, Jesus was a teacher, but he was a protector. He, he, he taught his disciples how to pray. He wanted, you know, w- w- the, 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 the scripture passage where they'd been out fishing all night and Jesus wakes up and we've been fishing all night. And, and the Lord says, let your nets down. Mm-hmm. And they catch a great multitude of fish. Jesus was always making sure in those three and a half years that his guys, his 12 disciples were protected. They were taken care of. They, they were even as we talked about a little bit ago in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was still their protector there, right? He was still there. And so that's a natural inclination. What you were saying about you wanted to shield your wife from exactly. it. Yes. You become one flesh, but a, a, a part of that, to me, a part of that, that scriptural uh, responsibility and charge to the husband mm-hmm. is to also keep things away from his wife that, that could hurt her and keep her yeah you're one flesh but you also a lot of times you're the one that's supposed to take the bullet that's at least what i i believe marriage and i don't want to listen i want to be very careful right and not disrespect the the place of a woman you know a man a woman the the spousal relationship okay i don't want to to discount that mm-hmm. but in my house if it's me or her it's me. Exactly. It, 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 it's me. And I've said that to her. And I said, look, if, if somebody comes in here, you got to understand, I'm going to get in front of you. Right. Because I'm going first. I, you know, right. you, you, I'm going. And so, yeah, you become one flesh, but but there's also a side of you. And, and forgive me for kind of kind of derailing and, 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 and stealing that because 
I would have to think that, I mean, you said you, you like, hey, I backed the dump truck up. Right. Because there are, there are just certain times that, yeah, you want to be the protector, but you, you, you also wrestle with that internalization of, I can't keep this from her forever. Exactly. exactly. And not just that. I was now to the point where I needed her help. I needed her support, her encouragement. I couldn't walk it alone anymore. And, uh, and, and that's when God really began to turn things around for, for me, I believe. And we did several things. You know, one of the things that we began to do is to pray specific prayers. For example, uh, I was in ministry long enough to see that when people go through hurt, they often... Uh, walk away from their spouse or from their church or from the Lord. So we begin to every day pray this prayer, God, when this is over, whatever it looks like, may we be more in love with you, more in love with each other and more in love with the local church. And we prayed that prayer every day. And I can say by the grace of God, 11 years later, God answered that prayer. The other thing we prayed every day was this, God, don't let us both be down on the same day so that one of us can pick the other one up. The other thing we did together, which was a wonderful thing, every night we'd get a cup of coffee, we'd sit on the back porch, and we would answer together this question. How did we see the fingerprints of God today? And by that, I mean those little ways that God worked that gave us confidence that even in our hurt, he was in control and we could trust him. And we kept a journal of those things, and it was doing those things together, I believe, that allowed us to take steps back outside the cave. How do you believe if you could go back to 11 years ago Yeah, and you could slip into your office Mm -hmm. there in Pennsylvania and you could, you now could put your book on Scott Disler's desk 11 years ago, how do you think it would have helped him in, in those moments? Because I I have to think, I mean, you wrote the book after you'd gone through that, you were able to go, okay, here's what I learned. and, And here's all the things, but in the moment that you were walking through that, if you could have slipped, if you could have gone back in time and slipped and put that book, that completed finished work, put it in his desk and left a little note said, read this, trust me, read this. What do you think it would have done for, for you in that, in that season of your life? I, I think it would have done a couple of things. I think, first of all, it would have helped me to evaluate the things that God wanted to teach me through it, even back then, rather than later. But the other thing I think it would have done is it would have allowed me to be even more confident in the fact that no matter what was going on, and there were some things going on I could not control. It was out of my control. I could trust the fact that God was doing something. One of the things I discovered through the process, and it really goes back, and I talk about it in my book, every time Jesus distributed bread, feeding of the 5,000, 4,000, Last Supper, he always used the same pattern. He took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, He gave the bread. And Brian, what I learned is that that's how God works with people too. He takes us, he blesses us, but I think there comes a time in our life when he allows us to be broken. 
And he does that because he wants to give us in a new, fresh way. So brokenness, here's the thing, brokenness really in a way can be a gift from God. And that was the thing I wasn't seeing at all back then that I can see now looking back that even brokenness can be a gift from God that he wants to use in my life to give me a new, fresh way. Because often we see brokenness as the end, but brokenness isn't the end. It's part of the story. It's not the end of the story. There is life after the cave. Yeah. How did your kids handle everything in that moment? Because we, we talked about your wife. Right. And, and we talked about the things you did together. But a lot of times kids, um, just as much as you want to shield your wife right. from things, you want to shield your kids from it. Exactly. And my wife and I went through a situation a few years, several years ago, four or five years ago, where we were intentional about keeping something from our son. But what we found out later was it that hearing what he heard kind of did some internal damage that we weren't right. aware of. And so walk me through how your kids handled things and what you tried to do in, in those, in that season to, to really kind of keep them from the collateral damage, so to speak. And there's kind of a good part and a bad part to that. The good part was they were both off at college. So by virtue of the fact that they're in another state, they were shielded from a lot of it right there. They didn't see the day in, day out. Uh, things that were going on. However, we knew when things were, had come to the point where we realized this is going to end and it's going to end sooner rather than later, we realized at that point we had to tell our kids. So we actually made a trip to the college where they were both at in Virginia and they knew something was up when we were coming down out of the blue um, and we sat down with them and we, we just shared the story with them of what was going on and, and what was happening. And the hard part was after we shared that, we had to leave and go back home. And so we had to leave our kids there. Fortunately, they had such great spiritual mentors there at that college that they had people that were wrapping their arms around them and they both battled through it. And our big prayer was that they would not become bitter against God. They would not become bitter against the church. And by the grace of God, they did it. Now, my daughter said that's solidified in her mind. She would never marry a pastor, but yeah. she's still very committed to the church. My son is a musician, so he kind of expresses himself through music. And he wrote, he, he was really struggling with the whole idea of forgiveness. And he ended up, God really working that through in his life. And he wrote an incredible song. I put the lyrics of it in my book about forgiveness. So I was able, by the grace of God, to see both of my kids actually grow spiritually during that time. And I know that's not always the case. I'm very thankful for that. Did it hurt your heart as a dad? Because you, you said this. I, I've got to go here for just a, a quick minute. You said early on that from the time you were a junior in high school, right. you preached that sunrise message. All you ever wanted to do was pastor. Exactly. And now your daughter comes to you and says, I want no part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to marry a pastor. I know mom had a calling. Yep. You feel like you've got it. You, you have a calling. That's great. 
I don't want any part of it. Were you relieved to say, yeah, honey, that's probably a good idea because I love you and I'm your dad and I want, I want to protect you and shield you. Or, or did you face some disappointment and say, I really wish you hadn't seen this side of it because there are a lot of great things about pastoring people. Yeah. And, and it did hurt my heart a little bit on that. But the one thing that brought solace to it is I saw my daughter see the full circle. Yes, she saw the hurt. She saw what I like to call the underbelly of the church. But my daughter is still very actively involved in church, inviting people to church. Uh, it didn't turn her off to the church. One of the things that was very obvious to us at that time in my daughter's life at her age, she had another calling. And uh, we could see that. That was evident. So it was no surprise to us that she didn't want to be a pastor's wife. That was just kind of her way of saying, I don't know how you and mom did it. I wouldn't want to go through that. And um, so... But both of my kids actively involved for the Lord today. And though I'm sure there are still some scars they face from that, uh, they've healed quite well from it. Do you think God may have used that? Man, I've got to ask this. For, forgive me for kind of pushing the time on this, but you just said something that, that, that sparked me to ask this question. Do you feel like that God may have used that situation to confirm the calling in your daughter's life that she was feeling because she might've felt that a lot of times, and this is why I say this, a lot of times sons and daughters feel some pressure to go into the family business. I'm saying that in air quotes, because if mom and dad pastor a church, Mm -hmm. sometimes the dad will might say to the son, Listen, I would love for you to succeed me. And it is and it's a I've seen it more times than I can, as we say in West Virginia, Scott, more times than I can shake a stick at. <laughs> but you know, or or if it, it, like in my case, my dad was a salesperson for a lot of years. Uncles were salespeople. That was kind of the natural inclination for me to go in and do that. I felt like I was going into a family business, so to speak. Right. For you, was it more of a relief? As you look back, uh, that's probably not the right question. Let me ask you this. How do you feel now looking back? Do you feel like God used that situation for more than just what he did for you and your wife? Absolutely. Brian, everything that happens to you affects more than you. It's somebody else's story is involved as well. And yeah, to see God use that to solidify in my daughter's life, the calling he put on her, that's a beautiful thing because I see God using her today. And there's no better place for our children to be than right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. And though my daughter's not a pastor's wife today, she's not in full-time Christian ministry, she is right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. And there's no doubt that God used all of that to help get her to that place. Everything that happens to you will make you bitter or better. And usually that choice is yours. So again, I think brokenness in the long run is actually a gift. It's just not a gift we enjoy opening. Yeah. Make you bitter or better. I love that. Let me ask you real quick. I've just got a couple more things that, uh, and man, you've been so gracious with your time. This has been so good. 
What was the biggest lesson that you learned from that obstacle in your life? And, and, and what do you, what do you take away from it that you still use today? I think the biggest lesson I learned through it was in understanding the fact that my first priority has to be my own personal walk with the Lord. When, when I suddenly lost my ministry, and Brian, we had the largest church in the city. We had the fastest growing church in the denomination. And when I suddenly lost that, I was, in my mind, a failure. And, yeah. uh, and what I learned was that who I am isn't based on, am I having ministry success? Who I am is based on the fact that I'm a child of the living God. And I was a child of the living God before I lost my ministry. I was a child of the living God after I lost my ministry. And I have to constantly focus on keeping my personal walk with the Lord in a strong state so that when those times come that bring sorrow, hurt, conflict, pain, adversity, I don't lose my true north. And I almost lost that true north while I was in that cave. But that's the biggest thing I learned. And of course, the second thing I learned, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, uh, is this. I believe that one of the reasons God uses brokenness in our life is because of this. He doesn't want to comfort us to make us comfortable. He wants to comfort us to make us comforters. 2 Corinthians 1 says that God comforts us in our trials so we can comfort those that go through the same trial. And yeah. Brian, that's the whole reason I wrote the book. I wrote the book so that I had a way to help other pastors and even non-pastors who were going through hurt and betrayal because God didn't comfort me in my time in the cave just to make me comfortable. He comforted me to make me a comforter. And yeah. one of the ministries God's opened up for me, I, I was meeting with someone just this morning in this situation. God has brought many people into my life now, many pastors, non-pastors, going through this type of hurt, and he's allowed me to be able to be that encouragement in their life. It's amazing when your story gets out, how many people contact you, yeah. and I've loved that. It's opened up a whole new realm of ministry for me, and it's become one of my passions. One of my passions is coming alongside of hurting people, especially those in ministry, so that they understand there's life after the cave. Yeah, that's so good. There's life after the cave. That's exactly right. No matter what your cave is, your cave may be a failed business. Your cave may be a failed marriage. Your cave may be a failed career, but there is life after the cave. That is so good. Would that be your biggest piece of intentional encouragement? Without question. To me, that's the whole nine yards. And I pray on a regular basis that God will set up divine appointments for me with people who are in that situation. And I've just been humbled by the number of people that God's brought across my path. And when I hear about, especially a pastor in that situation, my heart goes out to them. I want to find a way to contact them, to send them a book, to encourage them. Because I believe that God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. That is so good. Well, the, the Bible talks about him being a comforter. You know, one of, my favorite, the, my, one of my favorite scriptures is in Revelation 
21 where where the bible says and god shall wipe away all tears <laughs> from their eyes amen and so he's the ultimate comforter scott let folks know where they can get your book let them know how they can connect with you again man i turn it over to you so you can let people know how they because i know that when when they hear this podcast they're going to want to connect with you and get your resources and and get more of your content that you sure. have out there well the book is called the k when ministry becomes misery it's available online through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Really, any bookstore can order it for you. It's, it's widely accessible. Um, I'm the lead pastor at the E-Free Church up in Gaylord, Michigan. Now, that's where we get 150 inches of snow a year, way up here in northern Michigan. And let me give you my email address. It's my first name, Scott, and my last initial, D as in David, Scott D., at my m i e free e f r e e dot org scott d at my e free dot org and if i can help you in any way encourage you pray for you pray with you please feel free to send me an email if you think the book might be helpful to you or how about this if you think the book would encourage your pastor Maybe you could buy a, a copy and be an intentional encourager for your pastor. Cause I can tell you as a pastor, we need that. We need that. Yep. Scott S C O T T D at M I free F R E E dot O R G. Am I from e Michigan? E M I E free. Am I E free? See if I'd written that down correctly, Scott, I wouldn't have butchered it. M I E F R E E dot O R G Scott D at M I E free dot org. Scott Disler, this has been so good. And again, thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.